other people have already approached me about that. So that was um, so far, we have had three lessons uh, in this leadership series um, from unlikely sources in the scriptural story, if you remember. Um, Jethro taught us in Exodus 18 uh, that good leaders delegate. My, my mouth and my bottle is all crimped. I don't know what's going on. <coughs> I should patent that and sell it. It's like, mm. Anyway. <clears throat> ADHD. Uh, Good leaders delegate to able people. Moses taught us in Exodus 31 that good leaders identify spiritual gifts in others, if you remember that. And then two weeks ago, before the week before our baptisms, the disciples in Acts chapter 6 taught us that good leaders (coughs) empower servant leaders. And today's lesson simply comes from Paul given to Timothy in 2 Timothy, starting in 2 Timothy 1, 1 and 2, which simply says in his greeting and opening the letter, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promises of, promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. I love that. Keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Um, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's, he's opening in his letter to him, you know, just chucking grace, mercy, and peace at him, you know, because we need that, right? And then in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he also instructs him, he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is an important stuff, right? Um, In our first two sermons, if you remember, we tracked sort of the growing complexity and structural development of the nation of Israel. And in these last two sermons, we were looking at sort of the growing complexity of the the fledgling church, the church that is just getting started started in its structural development. And uh, now, after a time, you know, the church has been going on a little while, and and just before Paul dies, uh, we see him passing the baton to this new younger leader, Timothy. Um, In Acts 6, if you remember, we saw many people were coming to Christ. You know, it was just an explosive thing. And in that perceived disorder and chaos, if you remember that, the, the church uh, had to augment its leadership. And God was doing a lot of things. And it had to augment its leadership. It had to add certain things to accommodate that growth. And we are sort of in that same state here at 6-8 right now. And we're doing those things right now. Um, we've been growing for 10 plus years and, and that has been a great thing. That's significant. And in these summer months when everybody's away on vacation, we're still seeing uh, new people coming to church, those being baptized, which is really a lot of fun, and I want to do that again. And uh, that is all a big amen. That is all a big amen. God is doing something. I, I think somebody, uh, uh, Mary Nicoletti said to me the other day, she goes, I just feel like there's a, just a, a sense of being pregnant with something really profound happening in our church. And I said, I, I agree with that. So, But these are transitional times for our church, good times for our church. We had our first vacation Bible church, uh, our Bible camp, whatever you call it, just a few weeks ago. We're renovating the bottom floor, as you just heard from Lindley, to accommodate, accommodate this growing children's ministry and much-needed office space. I'll finally have an office. I, I don't know if you know, I sit on a chair in Jordan's office in the corner with my computer on my lap at this point. Um, and uh, and at, at, at the advice of many church development gurus out there and all this stuff. We've hired Kim 10 hours a week in, in the children's ministry directed role to just to put more effort into that for, you know, because for any growing church, if you don't throw your resources, your time, your effort, your money at the children's ministry, you hamstring your church. So we're trying to see this church uh, grow and be developed, right? And this, in this coming year, We've scheduled more targeted adult classes, which we're going to bring about. We've, we're developing spiritual mentors who will, uh, we're going to announce in the fall, um, people that are trained in spiritual formation practices, people that can help us understand how to grow closer to Jesus and things like that. 
And we are augmenting our leadership structure uh, to accommodate all of this growth, you know, and, and giving people a much-needed break where they need it and giving some other people, new voices, uh, a chance to be in the room and, and do certain things. So um, I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking, man, what if we could write a book about 6-8? And what would, what would all the, the chapter titles look like, Right. You know, because we've been through a lot together. Those of you who have been around here from the beginning, we've been through a lot together. The story of 6-8 would have certain chapter titles for me, and I don't, they might be different for you. I don't know. But chapter one for me would be a rooftop vision in Indonesia because that's where I got this vision. When we were ending our time in 2005, uh, about to come home from Indonesia, after you know nine years there and the whole tsunami and the craziness of that, I, I was up on my roof praying and God just said, you know, taking you back and I want you to plant a church on the main line that a guy like you would go to <laughs> because at the time there wasn't one, right? It's not that any of the other churches were bad, not at all. It's just that I wasn't a suit and tie guy and I knew there was a lot of not a non-suit and tie kind of folks like me you know, on the main line. And so that, was, that would be chapter one for me. Um, chapter two would be development of a pastor. I remember I came back and I started two years of a pastor at Church of the Savior. That, you know, being a missionary was one, one, one thing and being a pastor was a different thing. You know, they, there was some overlap there, but I learned a lot in those two years. And I had some great people, uh, Carrie Jones, who was my, uh, my boss there, really just poured into me, really good guy. Chapter three would be uh, God brings together a team. We had like 30, 35 people, something like that, come together, uh, some of which are still here, you know, haven't moved away. And, and uh, they, brought, they came together and they just were devoted to seeing this church planted. Now, let me just say, that is a big deal. Most people will not go on a church plant because when you get on the church plant team, you are, they ask a lot of you. They really do. And so these people sweat and bled for this church for a number of years just to see it get going, right? The next chapter would be a house church. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, we met in a, in a home in Gladwin for a while and we had to like, you know, uh, once that started getting too big and we couldn't fit in the living room anymore, we had to move out. And that brings us to our next chapter. It was a new place, the American Baptist Church over in Ardmore. We met in their back room while they met in the front. And, and uh, it was an old dingy building. And, and we, we, uh, we had a good time there. But, it, but that, uh, that ended, you know, they sold their building and a developer bought it and was making condos out of it and all that stuff. And and so we went to the next place, chapter 7, right? Uh, or no, chapter 6. Uh, the United Methodist Church, just around the corner from there. And we met on Saturday nights, which was really, like for like a year, I think we did that. And Saturday nights is not a great time to have church. Ch- 5 o'clock Saturday nights, not a good time. Nobody wants to go to church at 5 o'clock on Saturday night. And, uh, and I heard that in this year all the time. When are we going to get a new place? I'm like, oh, gosh, you know. And, but we, we were in their basement and their sort of overflow room, and we did that for, you know, I think it was a year. And then that moved us on to chapter 7, where it was just like, I'm not giving up. I got out. I'm like, dude, i got to find a place. And we found uh, the Center for Creative Works, which is this big arts warehouse right on Route 30 in Wynwood. And we moved in there, and that was hard work. I mean, we, we, every Sunday morning, we had to like set up and break down and set up and break down. And we had teams of people. And I remember Mike Thomas used to run a team and Pete, you did a lot of work. Pete back there at the, at the sound table just did a ton of work. A lot of people did a ton of work. Um, but it was crazy. And I'm still selling off all that stuff. Yeah, still selling off all that breath. I just put out the word to all these church planters. I've got these big rolling bins. Do you guys want them? You know, just stuff like that this year. Um, so uh, that, but that would bring us to chapter 10. And that's the story that hasn't been written. That's a chapter that's not, not written yet, right? The continuing story, right? Oh, sorry, I jumped, right? Oh, round it in chapter 9, round it. Rounding out of 10 years, I think chapter 9 for me means like we started rounding out. We started getting like older people in the room and, and just like we've got tons of kids, right? We, we went from like birth to, you know, 
60s, 70s, and even in the 80s and our age range, we were no longer the young church. And that was good because we needed that, right? And so then we came on to chapter 10, right? Uh, oh, chapter 8, sorry, unexpected blessing. Good shepherd, this place. When uh, CC... <laughs> Chapter 8 was the end of it. Sorry. (laughs) Church, uh, what was that place called? The Center for Creative Works? They they called me on a Wednesday, and they said, oh, by the way, we're doing construction on on your kids' rooms, what we we used as our kids' rooms. And I'm like, oh, great. Well, that going to start in like three months, six months. And they're like, oh, well, it started Monday. I'm like, what? You know, so we had to get out of there quick. And this place just offered their, this room full time. And it was just such a blessing. So, and I'll save nine and 10. You already know that. (laughs) But God is blessing us as a church. And I think we need to embrace his leadership as we head into this next chapter of 6-8, uh, you know, this next chapter is, uh, of us as a community. I, I was just on the phone with two people who had moved down to uh, South Carolina a number of years ago. And they, they, they had been at 6-8 for a little while. And, and they said, you know what? Oh, gosh, this killed me because I hear this quite a bit. And I, I'm not saying this to brag, but I'm saying this to be an encouragement to you. They said, you know, you are the reason, your church is the reason we can't find a church down here. We were so blessed with 6-8. We were just so blessed. And now we compare everybody else to what we had at 6-8. And I just, and that warms my heart. That warms my heart. They said, you have something special. It's going someplace. Amen. Right? Amen to that. You can say amen. (laughs) Thank you, God. That's right. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. I mean, God is building something here. And so what's next for us is always the question. And like Timothy, right, uh, that depends on a number of things. It depends on our continued focus on Christ, that our Christ-centered focus, that we have sound doctrine, that that we keep with sound teaching, that we continue to make good decisions, that we continue to have this commitment to discipleship and spiritual formation, that we continue to have courage in taking calculated faith risks. Um, and, and what we find here in Timothy, Second Timothy, is uh, that modeling and multiplying, modeling Christ and multiplying disciples in Christ takes strong grace. Modeling and multiplying takes strong grace, Right? Paul is uh, nearing the end of his life, and he chooses young people like Timothy to carry on the work of church leadership, right, of of taking this farther. And his letters to Timothy form a leadership manual for this young pastor, urging him to keep Christ central, follow sound doctrine, and then also warns him of false teachers, that teaching and, and, and truth are important, right? Knowledge is not all that, right? It is also, you know, us being spiritually formed in our character with Christ because without the character of Christ, knowledge becomes damaging, right? But knowledge is very important. The truth of the gospel is very important, right? So Paul also provides Timothy with personal instructions on how to become a man of God because it is that important. And as he instructs this young son of the faith, in the faith, you know, that he regards him, you know, that way, um, on leadership and discipleship, the exhortation is to be strong in grace. Uh, chapter two, verse, verse one and two, right? It takes an incredible, incredible amount of favor from the Lord to lead and to model well. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I know it very well. It takes an incredible amount of favor from the Lord to lead and model well. And this grace from Jesus becomes the fuel which drives us, which drives us to model and multiply disciples. None of us does that perfectly, right? None of us does that perfectly. But into my 50s, I'm really learning more and more how I cannot lead out of anything but a filling of the Spirit and a knowledge and a, and a, and a, and a closeness with Jesus. And it's a, very, it's a very, very important thing. 
So as we consider being strong in grace, to model and multiply, one of the most important ways we can do this is to to practice consistent disciplines of grace, of reading the scriptures, of, of prayer, of meditation, of silence and solitude, of regular worship, and all of that puts us in this posture to receive uh, the, the grace of Jesus filling our hearts to be able to pour out that out to others, to just overflow Christ to others, Romans fifteen thirteen, right? And ministry towards others, we know, begins with personal spiritual formation in Jesus. The overflow of which models uh, the gospel of grace to others and multiplies disciples and leaders in community. You know, in past weeks, we've used that illustration of a tire, right? Just simply a tire that needs to periodically go back and get pumped up a little bit, just top it off, right? Uh, and, and the same is with us, to just keep up that pressure within us, keep up that sort of Holy Spirit pressure in us, right? Uh, always going back to the Word, always going back to the Spirit of God to fill us up once more. I thought you had walked out, but you were just getting a friend. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't call people out. I, I'm sorry if I embarrass you. I just always think about that. Like, why are they leaving? Usually it's because their kids are downstairs, you know. So. Let, see you, Bob. <laughs> but um, <laughs> all right. Now I'm totally lost. Um, all right. Yeah. All right. Now here I am. But, <laughs> oh, there is something wrong with me, isn't there? Six, eight, but uh, six, eight is a church, uh, you know, we strive and I, you know, I don't think that we do these things perfectly, but we're, we're getting better all the time. We, we strive to give these tools in our community, right? And we strive to give these tools, we strive to give these disciplines of the faith because they're that important to us, right? We're, we're developing new training initiatives that, I, like I said, that we're going to roll out in the fall. And that's going to be exciting. We, as I mentioned also, we have these 11 people that have been, uh, that are wrapping up this spiritual mentor training class. They'll wrap that up in August. And I'm, I'm really excited about that because, you know, they, they, they're getting all these useful practices to reinforce our faith and, and live out of grace. And they can help us to walk that out, um, together. Let me point out that in the past few months, these people have read nine books. Have you read nine books on spiritual formation in your whole life? They've read nine books on spiritual... They've read... And I've got this pile up here that I'm missing one. I couldn't find it today. But um, they've read Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. Great book. We did a sermon series on that book at one point. They read an article on discipleship by Dallas Willard. Not a book, but an article. Uh, They read Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland, Hearing Beyond Words by Emma Justice, uh, Critical Journey Stages of, in, in the Life of Faith by Janet Habberg and Robert Gerlich, if I pronounce his name correctly. That book has been pivotal in our church development. Uh, the Kingdom Life by Dallas Willard, Discernment, God's Will and Living Jesus by Larry Warner. If you want to understand God's will and discernment, a great book to read. Soul Keeping by John Orberg, one of my favorites out of this list. Uh, and then the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Ed, Adele Calhoun. I've got a copy up here. There's also a copy back there on the on the shelf if you want to take it and peek at it. It's just these spiritual practices and it's sort of a handbook that's easy to, to read. But, it's, you know, I, I don't say that to say that it's just all knowledge that they packed in their little noggins, right? That's not, that is important, getting that knowledge in there, getting those those practices in there. But our time was not just spent reading uh, it was it was spent in practice of these various spiritual disciplines and these tools in order to deepen our own walks and also to impart that to other people. So it's very very uh, it's been a really really a good good thing. So so uh, secondly, we see the, in this discipleship relationship with 
uh, Paul and Timothy that modeling Jesus and multiplying disciples happens in community. It happens in the local church. It happens in life with people. As we see in verse 2, Paul's instructing Timothy. There he goes, right back out again, probably. Right, right in, right out, man. Whoop. No, I'm just kidding. You can stay. She doesn't bother me. But as we, <laughs> there you go. Now, she just wanted to be close to me. That's what it was. So uh, as we see in verse 2 there, Paul's instructing Timothy to model what's happened to him, right? In the early uh, church, as Paul's church planting teams stretched across the Roman Empire to spread the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, as it says in Matthew 28 and other, or, or, I, where does it say that? Acts chapter or whatever. Uh, he traveled and he taught in community, right? In community with people, right? In the presence of many witnesses, he says, was how the apostle lived and how he taught Timothy, and and people like Timothy. Um, It's interesting. He didn't give him some sort of a five-point plan for success. He didn't learn it in a classroom, right? He simply told Timothy to repeat what had been done with him in discipleship. So it, it, it begs the question, have you ever been discipled? Are you discipling anybody else? You don't have to be an expert to do it, right? To be known and to know others. To be known and to know others. We like to say that here at 6-8. Because ministry happens in the arena of the complexity of human relationships. As messy as that is. In all that chaos and craziness, right? It's wonderful. And one of the greatest barriers to uh, uh, ministry and discipleship we know is pride. You know, pride reveals itself in a number of ways, but you know, firstly, we might think of uh, pride in the narcissist, right? Everybody's known a narcissist at some point in their life. Even if you haven't, you haven't had the pleasure, you know? It's just, <laughs> they, are, they are unique people. They, you know, that, that person who thinks that they are better than everybody else, they, they can do no wrong, and they definitely don't need any direction from you, right? That's, that's the kind of person. And Scripture speaks in a myriad of ways to that kind of a person, but especially in 1 John 1, 8, they need to remember if we say, where it says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Everybody has something going on, right? We all need Jesus. Scripture actually reveals our need for Jesus' grace and not only in the moment of salvation, but every single day of our lives every single day of our lives. And that baptism ceremony that we celebrated last week clearly acknowledges that none of us are worthy, right? We're not worthy of what Christ has done for us, but we, we, we have this need of Christ's atoning sacrifice, you know, and, 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 uh, and daily grace. Every day I wake up, I'm fully saved. I can't ever lose that. But I need Christ's grace to grow deeply and, and to be a, a great minister of the gospel. Of it. And that's my, my whole goal in life, right? Um, secondly, pride reveals itself, and you may not think of it this way, but pride reveals itself in self-pity and shame. It really does. We often might not uh, think of it that way. We might hang the, 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 the adjective of humble, maybe, on a person living in self-pity or shame. Kind of strange. But those things are not humble. They're very prideful, actually. Because true humility is not self-effacing. It's not bringing yourself down. It's actually a deep, mature, strong confidence in Jesus. Right? Self-pity and shame aren't necessarily seen as pride, but they are at, at their root, they are very much pride. Pride says to this person that I'm beyond help. You know, even when God says, I can heal you, we say, no, I'm beyond that. Do you hear how prideful that is? Somebody said to me recently that they felt guilty, even though they've asked for forgiveness. And we had this discussion. I said, well, isn't that prideful? And they're like, wow, I guess it is. Because God can forgive you, no matter how you feel. Remember, feelings aren't facts. Guilt is not necessarily true, that feeling. When God says he forgives you, he forgives you. 
in Christ, right? They say that their pain and their despair is greater than everybody else's, right? That no one else can ever understand me. Oh, is that true? Are you, is your pain worse than my pain? Most likely not. It's a, it's a twisted sense of pride, but pride nonetheless. And, and one in which hamstrings ministry to that person and it stiff arms all the other people around them that are prepared to minister to them. When we can get rid of our self-pity and we can get rid of our shame, the, the Spirit can move through other people to minister in our lives. It's great. And we all need other people to speak in our lives, right? Uh, iron sharpens iron. It really does. Uh, We need other people to remind us of the grace of Jesus and his healing power. Shame and self-pity keep us isolated. They cut us off from the much-needed ministry of the Spirit and the Word via the body of Christ. We need the body. And leaders need to immerse ourselves in the communities that we lead. Right? Both being known relying on others, allowing you to see into my life, being transparent with you, but also knowing others, giving the life of Jesus away to other people all the time, right? Pride, though, kills that process dead. It kills it dead. And it's something that the Christian, and especially Christian leaders, need to really fight against. Um, Pride just destroys things. It really does. And our leadership training doesn't happen in a vacuum. It comes from modeling the good leadership in front, of our, in front of people and in the mess of life together, right? And that's, that's really uh, how ministry happens. Because leadership's more caught than taught. We've heard that before, right? Leadership's more caught than taught. And successful leaders model humility. They, they bring others along with them. Uh, on the journey of faith and, and, you know, as messy as that all gets. And where modeling is practiced, multiplication thrives, right? Where modeling is practiced, where discipleship happens, multiplication thrives. And as I've said before, I've had a number of people in my life, a number of men in my life who have discipled me in my spiritual walk over the years. Uh, In the very beginning, when I first came came to Christ, my friend Tony Melvin, uh, who was my roommate at the time, when I was first a Christian, he just took me under his wing. He taught me how to have a quiet time. He taught me how to pray. He got me into to ministry. Uh, he like took me into ministry hand in hand and said, let's do it together. He discipled me. You know, he, he just urged me to do, this, to do the same with others. He just took me along. And that was all under the leader, leadership of my pastor at the time, Paul Clough, who's spoken here before and probably will again someday. And he trained me to model uh, in the model of Jesus and, and his discipleship practices with the apostles. And, and he made it a very practical lifestyle for me. It, it, it's where discipleship became very natural. And, 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 and I started to practice it more and more. And, and there have been, they've been many others over the years. I've, I've had many people speak into my life, all of which I still keep in contact with and who still speak into my life. And, uh, you know, that leads us to our next point where we see that modeling Jesus and multiplying disciples requires faithful multiplying people, right? That's what it takes. Um. I was just really convicted in worshiping this morning is that, man, we are really called into this. We are called to be disciples. We are called to give our lives away so that others can know Jesus better, maybe for the first time or, or, or more deeply. This is what we're called to do as a body, as Christians, right? And this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, right? Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, Paul says, right? We don't know the exact context of Timothy's situation, but we do know that Paul's narrowing the scope of his ministry, right? And as a young pastor, um, he probably had a lot of energy, he probably had a lot of drive, and it's probably tempting at that point to just take every young man in the church or, you know, and just disciple them all and, you know, get them all into something, right? But, but even as we look at the life of Jesus, 
modeling and multiplying takes place within a certain subset of people who fit a specific criteria, right? We call them fatsos here, (laughs) right? Fatsos, faithful, available, uh, teachable, service, and others-oriented. Fatsos, right? And we understand that time is crucial for leaders. Who we spend it with and how we model and multiply leaders determines so much about the ministry we lead and how the gospel is going to spread, right? Even Jesus selected his disciples, calling young men who would follow him faithfully, listen to him with openness and availability and respond with teachability, right? And we need to do the same. We need to do the same as a church, finding people who will be faithful to continue to model and multiply with others. And this is why unity is extremely important in a church. If you, if you say you're part of this church, but you believe something off kilter that the church does not uh, espouse to, you're not walking in unity. You are not, and you are destroying the, the, the vision and the momentum of the church. You are at least hamstringing it, all right? So unity is extremely important in a church, and we need to walk in unity together. And this is how the gospel spread in the first century, and this is how the gospel spreads today. And by the way, it doesn't change. It's how it's going to spread in the future. It's not going to be through some app. It's not going to be through social media. It's going to be through life-on-life discipleship and sharing of Jesus together, right? So if you think through Jesus' model um, of ministry, it was, it was more about multiplication rather than addition. You know, you think about it, add one thing and add another thing and then add another thing. It takes forever to build something, doesn't it? But if you pour yourself into a small number of people and you urge them to replicate that into a small number of people themselves, right, you see multiplicative, multiplicative growth. Hard word to say sometimes. Uh, it, just, it just starts happening at a greater level. I pour into three people. Each of them, in turn, pours their life into three people and multiplication instead of addition, right? Three and then nine. Is my math correct? And then it goes on from there. You know, I'm an artist. I'm not a mathematician. But um, mathematician, like one plus one. I'm like giving you simple math. <laughs> mathematician um but from 12 men jesus changed the world all of history jesus overturned everything right he changed the world from 12 men out of those 12 there were three that he was closest to still and that was peter james and john and out of those three john was the closest to him out of all right And Jesus reproduced his life in these men, and they, in turn, upon receiving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, if you remember, turned around, and they reproduced the life of Christ in others. That was their whole thing. Think about how they changed, right? So discipleship is that which extends beyond just the leader. Everybody gets to play. This is the call of all of us as believers, to, to be a part of discipling others into the life of Christ. It's what we're all called to do. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Got it in here again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, so Jesus has the authority to tell me what to do with my life and you what to do with your life. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, there's that horrible word in our culture right now, obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission, our vision, our purpose as, as a body of believers. However, the church writes its vision, purpose, and mission statements. It is that. It is that, no matter how you say it. So think about your own life. Who's right around you? Who do you have influence with? One, two, or three people you could spend time with, you could pray for, and simply challenge them to live out of Christ in deeper ways or to know Christ for the first time. Because the secret is, here's the secret, your faith is always going to be dry until you start giving it away. Your faith is always going to be dry until you start giving away. This is not about you. 
(laughs) I say that with a smile. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and others. It's about Jesus in the world, right? It's how the life of Christ works in us. No other way. We take on his character, and when we take on his character, suddenly we become concerned about others to know Jesus themselves, all those other people around us, and we desire spiritual health for them and freedom from them. We desire salvation in them, uh, not only just forever, but salvation in a daily sense of the things that keep them in bondage. And you notice that tremendous change That tremendous change in the disciples. They live with Jesus for three years. That's their training time, their discipleship time, in a sense. And then Pentecost comes, and Jesus hands over the ministry to them. uh, Christy, I think it was, said to me this week, she goes, I asked, "Why, why do you think Jesus ascended and left us with the ball? She's like, because we wouldn't have done anything if he didn't leave us. Right? We would all, he would be in Jerusalem. We'd all be like, where are you going? I'm going to Jerusalem. Like, we'd all like want to be just, just be around Jesus. We wouldn't want to reproduce the life of Jesus and others, right? That was, that was a very wise statement, I thought, right? But, you know, they're with him for three years. They have this training time. And then Pentecost comes. Jesus hands this ministry over to them. And as we saw last week in Acts, it just explodes. Ministry explodes. People start to come to Christ left and right. And as they do for others, what Jesus did for them, that's what happens. They're simply unable to contain the gospel within them, and it overflows from them to others. I think part of the reason we don't see that sometimes these days is that we're not getting the message. We're much more concerned about ourselves than we are about Jesus in the world. We're more, much more concerned about how do I get my marriage to work? How do I get my kids, you know, safe? And how do I do this? And how do I do that? It's all a self-help model. Christ calls us to something much greater. Much greater. You all have a three-by-five card near you, at least. Maybe not on your chair, but on a chair next to you, at least. And if you, don't, if you can't find one, just grab a welcome card out of the, the thing in front of you. I want you to prayerfully take a few moments right now to consider who God has put in your life that you can influence to greater faith or faith for the first time. Think of two people right around you who might be believers which you can influence to greater spiritual formation. You know, I have so many people that come to me and say, I need to be disciples. I I need a mentor. Well, it's hard for a pastor to say, well, this person can mentor you if that person is not willing to mentor somebody. And I tell you, honestly, I get I get tired of throwing them to the same people all the time. We should be a body of disciples. That's what we should be. I should be able to say, hey, take your pick. There's a lot of people out here, right? Think of two people that you could be discipling to a greater, deeper faith in Christ. And then... Think of one person that's not a Christian that you could start to pray for and influence to come to Christ. I'm going to go into prayer right now. Prayerfully consider that. And let me just remind you that practically you can ask the Holy Spirit. You can say, Holy Spirit, I have no idea who should be on this cart. Please bring me three names. Bring up three names in my mind right now. So let's just take a minute and do that, and then I'll come back.
So I put the timer on my phone to uh, give you a minute. I didn't want to cut you short. Uh, if you haven't finished, you know, just take some time today and finish that little list. Three people, three people. Um, but I put as I put the timer on my phone, my I saw my son texted me and said the correct term would be exponential growth, not multiplicative growth or whatever. <laughs> whatever I said. It's hard when your kid's smarter than you. But aren't all kids smarter than their parents? They're, at least they think they are. But but you have that little list, right? That little list in your three by five card. Begin to pray for these people. Begin to pray for these people. You don't have to go to them and say, I'm discipling you. That's not what we're talking about. Begin to pray for them. Uh, Spend time with them. Call them, email them, text them, get together with them. Begin to think of ways that that, that you can let them see you live out your faith like Paul did with Timothy, right? Challenge them in their faith. Uh, Urge them to have a quiet time, right? Pray for them openly when they're facing something. Ask them to pray for you when you're facing something. Mourn and laugh with them. Don't avoid the hard stuff. Don't just have fun. Do that both, right? Share what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and, and, and what He's saying to you in your time in the Word, in your quiet times. Listen to them. And while you're listening to them, here's the trick. Listen between the lines. Listen to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in their lives and then bring that up to them. Identify it in them. Say, maybe, you know, don't do it arrogantly like God's telling you this. Say, maybe God's trying to speak to you. Maybe he's trying to say this. What do you think of that? Interact about it, right? Um, That is the process of discipleship. And remember three things with people. People can't reject your personal story. Your story, your, you, you and Jesus' story is your, you and Jesus' story. Nobody can say, oh, that didn't happen. They can't deny your experience. You know, Christian or non-Christian, I don't care what they say. They cannot deny that I believe of that I've had an experience with Jesus, right? Number two, they'll also will typically not reject a word of encouragement or a prayer, Usually people will take encouragement and usually if you say, can I pray for you right now? They'll say, that'd be great. Even if they don't believe in it, they'll still take and it's always meaningful. And three, authenticity and integrity go a long way. You cannot be living a secret life of sin over here and think that you're going to be really good at influencing people for Christ over here. You have to take holiness and purity very seriously. You have to walk with Jesus, right? And and you begin to see his life just pour out of you. So authenticity and integrity go a long way. You don't need the positional moniker of leader to be doing the ministry that we're all called to do as, as, as the people of God, right? Jesus gives us the model of discipleship And so we need, and I hope that we can, model him to others and multiply his life in others, right? And that takes intentionality. I want to end today by making a a little bit of an announcement. Like Moses uh, in his day and the disciples back in Acts 6 that we saw, growth of a church brings transition and the need to augment leadership. And we've been operating with certain people in certain positions for a long time here at 6-8. Very faithful people. They've done a stellar job at leading this church. And, and to continue, we don't want these people to burn out. And we also want to recognize that God really wants to bring new voices in the room and give other people a chance to, to, to be in and experience leadership and take that weight on. And it's very healthy for a church to do that, right? To, to mix things up sometimes. John Culp Mark House and Steph Austin have been on our pastoral council for years. <laughs> They've been on there for years. Steph has been on there for 10 plus years. That's a long time. Typically, churches cycle out every three years, right? And they've led us really, really well. They've done a great job. We've been blessed with this team of very sharp, very loving, very caring people. And it's time to give them a, a, a break and, and to uh, allow them to focus on other 
places in ministry and also to, uh, to even focus on their own families. Um, Steph would specifically like to spend more time on the Kingdom Opportunities Ministry, uh, which is something that really benefits this church and will take us far into the future and, and deepen our, our, um, our, our influence in this community. This, this year it's going to change a little bit. We've identified two big um, events, July, uh, July 4th, uh, the Saba event next year is going to be our, one of our signature events, events that draw hundreds or thousands of people, right? And then Bryn Mawr Days, which we're doing for the first time in September. We'd love to have everybody in the church show up, wear your little 6-8 t-shirt. I know it seems silly, but it, it really does help. It, it, and we can volunteer at that event. We're going to have a prayer booth there that Rachel's going to organize with us and all that kind of stuff. It's just going to be wonderful. We're going we're gonna to take the kingdom opportunities off the, the weight of that, off the, kingdom, the community group leaders this year, and we're going to do them as all church uh, uh, activities and things like that. So that's, she, she's got a lot on her plate with that, and that's, that's an important ministry that she needs to focus on. John has been overseeing our finance system for, I don't know, I, eight years, I don't, something like that. He's, it's just he's done a lot. And Christine Massey, Bill's wife, who's not here today, she's going to uh, work with transitioning that uh, off of John's plate so he can have a rest. And John has had probably just all the great stressors in his life goes on in the last few years, and he has really kept his head about that. And I, God bless him. You know, we've done really well under John's leadership there. Mark has two kids and another one on the way. And so you can imagine all that's going on in his life. And Mark, if you haven't noticed, he was up here playing the guitar. He is really finding life in the worship ministry. So we want to give him more uh, room to spread his wings there. But when a church... uh, when a church grows, as we've said, we need to put our focus in certain areas to plan for the future. So we've put some effort towards the children's ministry system in recent months. But another thing that we need to do is to augment our leadership structure, adding much needed positions for our future. So we saw in Acts Acts chapter 6 two weeks ago, how as the church grew, deacons needed to be put into place to carry some of the weight. They didn't have those guys before that, right? So that was an added and augmented leadership structure, right? We are at the same stage here, and and under the guidance of many other church leaders outside of 6A and things like that, we need to uh, transition our pastoral council away from some of the diaconal issues so they can really focus on spiritual uh, leadership in certain ways. And so we're going to create a deacon board. Right, a deacon board in addition to our pastoral council. And since these three people have served so well uh, on the council, they're going to transition over to the deacon board for a time, and they're going to hold that weight until we can further identify people to to take the, take on those roles. And I said, as I said, Christine is already going to come on there and start transitioning with John. So, so that's that's really helpful. But this leaves the question of our pastoral council, and I don't think anybody would argue that uh, we Donna Christie. Dave Christie, Lindley Thomas, and Vinnie Nicoletti, Vinnie's not here today, they've, they've taken on the weight. They've said yes to, to coming on to the, the, uh, the pastoral council. And these two boards are going to meet from now through uh, January 1st for a transitionary p- period. And then January 2020, they're going to meet separately as, as different boards, although they're going to still have to work together at times. But Lindley will also be helping me with the community group leader uh, position this year. I'm really excited about that. Lindley always brings freshness and good ideas and all that stuff, and we're going to switch some things up, and that's exciting. But these are natural sort of additional steps in our growing church's life. And uh, once we've solidified all this a little bit better, we're going to have a time in the service, probably in September, to sort of commission all these people in their various roles and bless them into future ministry. So be praying for them. Be praying for your leadership. Be praying for all these much-needed transitions. I am personally, like, people keep asking me, you've got a lot going on lately. Are, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm a little tired sometimes, but I'm really, really excited about where our church is going and what's happening. Um, I really feel like... And this is a little glimpse into my head. I I feel like God has expanded my faith lately that I'm just not at all 
Like I, God just seems to be like answering things and take, bringing people into places and doing things and developing people. And we are going someplace. And I, I'm just, it's like I'm sitting back saying, okay, well, all right, I'll say that. You know, like I, I'm just a conduit here. And it's just so cool to see what God is doing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about our future. But I've talked enough and I've taken us late, sorry. But let's, uh, let's go to the, the, the table and um, the communion table now. And let's just really um, seek the Lord in this. I, I, I know when you come to this, it seems like maybe something that's rote that we just kind of do, you know. But this is meaningful. It, it reminds us of Christ's sacrifice, of his body broken on the cross, of his blood shed on the cross. And I would urge you to be prayerful about this, to, to confess anything right now before you come to the table. Uh, that if you need to make a phone call or you need to go to somebody in this church and, and ask for forgiveness for something, go ahead and do that before you come up to the table. Um, this is a moment uh, reserved for believers. If you, if you haven't accepted Christ yet, just observe what we're doing. Nobody's going to be watching you. Uh, you don't have to feel weird about that. But if, this is a time reserved for us who have given our life to Christ. And I just want to pray us into that. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for what you have done in our lives and in the world and are doing in our lives and in the world. And we know like you took that bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You took that cup and you said, this is the blood of my covenant. Just when you drink this uh, this this cup and you and you break this bread. Remember what I've done for you, and and we do right now, Lord Jesus. We have a God that has gone to that extent to love us, to show grace to us, to show mercy to us, and to bring us into life. And we want that for the whole world around us. So we pray that by this time next year, we would have a number of people sitting in this service worshiping alongside of us that weren't walking with you now. We pray, Father God, for that, for that reality, that people would come to know you and that you would use us in that process of bringing them into that.